Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. I'm Chris Solomon. I'll get to my recording shortly with Barry O'Hanrahan from a Good Talk Spoiled podcast. Uh, but first, wanted to forewarn you: this podcast is going to be a little bit different than most of the podcasts you're used to hearing on this channel, and that there's not going to be PGA Tour talk. This is merely a summary of uh, awesome weekend we spent in the Greater Dublin area last uh, in late June playing four of the best courses in the area, the Island Golf Club, K-Club, Port Marnock, and Killeen Castle. Uh, we wanted to debrief on this trip, uh, give you guys some feedback on what some of these courses are like. Uh, I did a similar podcast after my Scotland trip last summer and received some strong feedback on that uh, and got a lot of questions from people uh, that were planning their own trips. So hopefully this gives you a little bit of inspiration um, if you're in the area to ever check out these courses or to perhaps plan a, plan a trip to the area. But uh Again, Barry O'Hanrahan is a co-host of a Good Talk Spoil podcast, great podcast. He and some uh, his fellow Irish golf addicts do a weekly podcast about all things golf, their own games, uh, PGA Tour, European Tour. It's fantastic. Listen, and we're going to play this uh, this recording of the audio on both our podcast and theirs. So um, thanks, guys, for tuning in. Be sure to check out their podcast and get a chance. And please let me know if you have any questions about any of the courses. Thanks. Barry, we've had about a week to decompress from... About as good, as good of a four-day golf, three-day golf trip you could have, four rounds of golf. Uh, we started at the Island Golf Club. Um, you picked me up at the airport Friday after Friday morning in Dublin, Ireland, went straight to the golf course. Uh, was it your first time playing the Island Golf Club? I don't remember. No, it wasn't. It was the second time. I was lucky enough to have played it before. Um, a really good friend of my father's is a member there and um, had the privilege of being invited. It's, it's not one you get out to very often, actually. It's, um, it's kind of a hidden gem in terms of Dublin. Those that know about it know how amazing it is, and those that don't know about it may have heard of it in whispers on the wind, I suppose. But, um, yeah, it's, I loved that golf course. I don't think there's a, there's very, I don't think there's a weak hole on it. Well, explain exactly why it's called the island and what you told me as well about how back in the day people used to get to and from the golf course. Um, yeah, so it's it's to the north of Dublin and um, it oh, it looks back towards Malahide, a town. Um, there's an estuary there and it effectively was an island back in the day. Uh, people used to have to get a boat to the course to go play it and uh, a boat to get back to the course. So um, it was kind of a, a day trip or, you know, d- depending on the weather, you might be stuck there overnight, which is great if the bar is fully stocked, but not so good if it isn't. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you we went directly there and it kind of a rather uh, prevalent theme for the weekend or a theme for Irish golf in general. Had a bit of weather elements to deal with. Uh, it was dumping rain when we got there, went inside, had some lunch, had to have a Guinness. 
Um, and then it cleared up for us for a while. We batted the elements there for the front nine. But um, So this is, this is a Lynx-style golf course, and I'm guessing most people listening probably aren't that familiar with the course. But um, I know we'll talk a bit about Port Marnock here in a little bit as well. Uh, you, you, you like to say that how, just how different these two Lynx courses are in themselves, but how would you describe the Island Golf Club from a Lynx perspective? Um, yeah, good point. The two of them are quite different. I mentioned that in our um, our own podcast last week. Um, the island is uh, quite heavy on the dunes. The sand dunes are quite tall there. I mean, I guess some of them would be 50, 60 feet high easily, if not taller in places, you know, relative to the fairway. So um, it, it's quite undulating in terms of its fairways um and uh, how the holes are kind of framed by the the gigantic dunes uh, in places. So, in contrast to Port Marnock, which we'll talk about in a little bit, Port Marnock is is quite flat. Um, I don't think you're going to find a dune more than 10, 15 foot high there at any one time. So, yeah. um, What did you think about the island? Uh, This was uh, your first experience of Irish golf. It brought you to a, a bit of a classic yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was kind of exactly how I pictured it. I mean, I I played almost all the golf of my life in the U.S. I did a Scotland trip last year and kind of I'd say learned the ropes to links golf. I don't know. I definitely can't say I learned links golf. Uh, I got familiar with it enough to know that it takes it really does just take many many repetitive rounds to get used to these kinds of courses to the kind of shots that you have to play. Um, you kept telling me like when you're playing links golf, just throw the yardage book out the window like. Get a good idea of what the yardage is, but you can't be afraid to hit a five iron from 150 sometimes. And um, I found the the Island Golf Club just to be really, really challenging in a good way. Uh, the dunes that you mentioned, I love the way that they frame the hole, and almost every hole from the tee box is like a picturesque, picture perfect moment or a, a photographic moment. But it's hard to really capture the depth of it, like with on an iPhone camera or whatnot. But uh, it does frame it really well, but man, it was punishing off the tee. Those dunes that you were describing, uh, they aren't shaved and they are not ricocheting the ball back into the fairway. So a premium was on driving accuracy there, and it made me not want to reach for the driver too often and regret when I did reach for it. But I don't I don't mind that in links golf. I don't mind taking a three iron. Um, I tried to describe this in, the, in the, how I wrote up my post on the golf, on golf club, but I, it's hard to really describe how... Um, you don't, when I'm playing a link style golf course like this, I don't desire to have like a wedge in my hand for like a green light special shot into the green because, uh, the wedge shots in themselves can be even harder to predict than like hitting a six iron into a green because, uh, you might think you can lob it over a bunker or lob it into a certain part of the green, but then it hits the green hard and runs off the back. Whereas, um, sometimes you're better off just playing even even in front of the green, not even up all the way onto the green from further back because it's um, yeah, it's just kind of hard to describe how you don't you don't desire to get it as close to hold to the hole as possible. I don't mind hitting three iron, six iron into a par four, whereas a normal American style golf course, I would reach for the driver every time and try to get myself as short of a shot into it. But that's what makes it really fun is you got to kind of get creative and think, all right, if I hit three iron here, but if I hit it well, it's going to run out in this fairway, but Man, if I miss this fairway, I'm going to be punching out and you know hitting eight iron probably onto the green. But uh, I just I, I played horribly. I don't really play much golf anymore. It was my third round in the last ten months after dislocating my shoulder, and I was not ready for that challenge. I'd love to get another crack at it. I think I can do a lot better the second time around. But 
Uh, I thought it was a fantastic challenge, so much fun. The greens rolled true. The fairway surfaces were fantastic. We had great company, great foursome. Um, the weather, I, I, I don't deal well with rain, as you could probably tell from my score, but um, I, I loved it, man. I thought it was a fantastic golf course. Yeah, you did. We, we did have one really bad squall that came in with the, you know, the wind was whipping maybe like 50 kilometers an hour. The rain was almost horizontal and, uh, and you had to have, you, you were faced with a tough 20 footer, I think, <laughs> and, ended up, and ended up four jabbing it. But, uh, <laughs> that was, I, I can't even blame the wind on, or the rain on that. That was just me being a mental midget and not being able to concentrate. But I did feel better. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just a complete wuss when it comes to the rain, but I did feel better that even you guys were like, "Yeah, this is a pretty, this is a pretty bad rainstorm." Yeah, it was, it was, it was a good opportunity to hunker down for a few minutes on the tee and just wait it out. Uh, it's, it's not easy to play golf of the, in the rain, in rain at the best of times and wind, but that was particularly nasty. So, um, yeah, that, any particular standout holes? Actually, that's there were there were a few out there in that golf course. You know, and you could name a whole lot of them, but there was a couple that really kind of caught my eye on the back nine. The um, the fourteenth, which I've always described as the fairway being as wide as a strip of sellotape. <laughs> it is a really fascinating hole. It it just looks like they tried to fit a hole where it shouldn't be, yet mm. it's still a really cool hole. Um, I think at that point I had kind of given up on my score and I actually did reach for driver on that hole, trying to drive the green, uh, slightly unsuccessful, but it is, uh, it's, it's almost, it kind of reminds me of number seven at Pebble beach yet extended into a par four. Like it's just yeah. this whole fit into this tiny little real estate of land, uh, dead straight, couldn't be any straighter of a hole, but we had mostly helping win, but off the left as well. So that whole element of trying to figure out a way to kind of work it back against the wind to be at least able to keep it from running off into the hazard to the right. Uh, I'll try to get a picture of this hole in the, in the post of, uh, of this podcast so people can get an idea of what we're looking at. But um, I, I'm, not, I'm never really that good the first time playing a course of really remembering specific holes, uh, but except for that finishing hole, man, is 460 into the teeth of the wind. And I don't know what it is. I mean, I've played in strong winds before. I didn't think the wind was that particularly crazy that day, but something about being on a Lynx course when it blows that just make it exaggerates this wind. I know it's wide open out there. Uh, the dunes don't really protect your ball that much from the wind. Um, but man, I don't, I'm pretty, I'm confident in saying that par four was not reachable, and we weren't even playing it that far back. No, I, what did I hit? A pretty solid drive and one of the best three woods of the day. I think I kept it about six foot high, and I still, I think I was still twenty yards short. That that hole was playing monstrous. Um, there's there is something spe- um, special about the wind on Lynx golf courses. It just seems to be extra fortified. So even if somebody says that's only fifteen mile an hour wind, it may as well be thirty five or forty on an, on a regular Parkland golf course. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, but that, I think it just adds so much to the fun of it, you know. And um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that the like uh, the main difference in like playing a course like St Andrews or, or in Scotland, uh, I just I didn't feel the terrain was ec- like especially firm. I know it rains a lot in Dublin, but um, it wasn't. I, I I didn't have trouble like compressing the ball against the turf. I've had I've had trouble in the past on links courses compressing the ball. I didn't feel any, have any of that experience, so that was. Um, I, I enjoyed that part of it at least. You don't have to change your game too much. You're not playing it completely on the ground like you like I was uh, familiar with at least in Scotland. But you're still reaching for the putter from off the green, and you were you were yelling at me any time I reach for the lob wedge around the green. Like you're not <laughs> Phil Mickelson. Stop. You don't know how to do this. But 
my my well my favorite hole was probably the ninth hole after eight holes of hacking it around. Um, you talked me into hitting a six iron from a one sixty on the par three, which I would have never nor- normally done. Uh, flighted it under the wind, and I was while it was in the air, I was like a little bit worried about this being my first hole in one, and the fact that I hit six iron from one sixty. I was go- <laughs> I was going to have to tell everyone that, but that was my only memorable shot really of the day. So, <laughs> uh, anybody that plays links golf or has played it knows that you do the yardage book just disappears. Um, I don't know if you're keeping an eye on the. Uh, the pros practicing for the open up at Troon, uh, Gray McDowell was hitting a six iron into the postage stamp par three, which measures 125. Jeez. So uh, it's it really is. Um, it doesn't matter what numbers on the club on in links golf. It's about like flighting your golf ball and shaping it to to, to come up with the best results. And uh, you can leave the check your ego in the clubhouse before you get onto the first tee. Really, when it comes to distances and clubs. Um, yeah, and that's one of the greatest lessons I was ever taught about links golf growing up. And um, from anybody more senior or more experienced to me, they said, uh, "Forget your ego and golf clubs and hitting certain distances because on one hole you could go hit a three iron three hundred yards downwind, and on the next hole back into the wind you'd be lucky to hit at one sixty, one sixty five. So, we'll get to we'll get to your three hundred yard three iron, Barry. I, I know just, you're bringing that up know, for a I reason. Know. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> we'll get to it, all right. Um, but but that, that is that is a key thing about the link, about links golf. You know, you just uh, it's imagination and it's it's a lot of fun as well. Yeah, and it, I uh, I I feel like in my head I don't have that hard of a time switching my brain. You know, trying to play those kind of shots, it, but. Playing them in your head and executing them are two completely different things, and that's just where I was completely rusty. And I feel like, again, like I mentioned, a second go around that course would go a lot different for me. I think at least half the holes, I'd probably hit a different club off the tee than I did in that first round. Um, and I, the only thing, and I don't even know if it's it's fair to qualify this as a negative because um, for me, I don't I prefer courses that uh, don't punish you too much in, as far as looking for balls for bad tee shots. Um, I understand that bad tee shots should be punished, um, but I'm I'm not. I, I mean, I'm a about a three handicapper now. Um, we're you know we're playing with a uh, with a couple twenty handicappers. I, I don't I don't like that. Uh, you know, when you're looking for balls in the deep deep stuff. At the same time, I understand that need to be a challenge of the course, but it was not unfair by any means. It's just like if you really an unencouraged hit driver. If you hit driver and miss one, miss the fairway by ten or ten yards or so. Good luck finding it, and that's that's a main difference. We'll get to that in Port Marnock. Uh, Port Marnock had punishing rough off the tee, but you could you could find your ball. I don't know if we lost any balls out there at Port Marnock. It was just a completely different approach, but we'll get to that as well as different style of links. But yeah, uh, it was it wasn't the worst rough I've ever seen no. in the island, and. Um not being as good a golfer as yourself, I'm more experienced to going into the rough and finding <laughs> golf balls. So I do have quite a talent for finding them. <laughs> uh, you got a nose for that. But yeah. um, after, so, all right, I need you to explain to my American listeners. Uh, so we'll, it's a joke, I guess a meme that a lot of people make about uh, when they go to Ireland, everyone just says, oh my God, the Guinness just tastes so much better in Ireland. Uh, and I think I even made that joke to you when I met you last year. We, I met you up in Dublin around St. Patrick's Day. Uh, and I made that joke to you. And then you proceeded to tell me that it really is different in Ireland. I didn't know this to this point. But explain to the listeners why the Guinness in Ireland actually does taste better than anywhere else in the world. Um, 
Well, I'd like to say it's something like leprechaun magic, but it, it's it's a pretty simple formula. All of the Guinness that is um, served in Ireland is made in Ireland, and any Guinness that is served outside of Ireland is not made in Ireland. It's actually made in the Guinness facility in Nigeria. So there's a there's a distinct difference. You know, even the base ingredient, your, the water, is going to be different here than it is in Nigeria. So. Uh, yeah, you, you never shut up saying uh, how good each pint of Guinness was. And, and to be fair, they were quite delicious pints, um, especially after 18 holes of golf. They always taste pretty uh, pretty good. Well, and even when we met up last year, uh, we were I was at a bar and texted you, said we're here, and you asked me, do they serve good Guinness there? So you can even taste the difference in the Guinness from bar to bar, being oh, Irish yourself. Oh, yeah, you can see the difference. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, the the beer that the one that comes from Nigeria is even a separate. Beer. It's a different name, isn't it? Like foreign extra stout or something like that. I don't know. I don't drink Guinness when I'm abroad. No, that's fair. That's <laughs> very fair. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense. But uh, anything else from your end from the Island Golf Club? I think uh, I don't know. I gave rated about like an. I don't want to give ratings on it, but as close to a ten as I could give a golf course. That was that was an absolute blast. Um, yeah, I, I, it's definitely a golf course that you would benefit from having a stroke saver to begin with and obeying what the, the guidelines are in the stroke saver because uh, there's a lot of holes that um, on the Facebook by the yardage or how they look and appear, you think I can just take out a driver and have a go at it. But uh, we learned that to our detriment. You know, Having only played that once before, I'd forgotten a number of the holes and uh, we took the wrong club off the tee on a few occasions. So, like, like any Lynx golf course, it takes a little bit of learning, but uh, yeah, definitely get the stroke saver and have a preview of the, uh, the golf course itself on their website before you go out. Um, what's their website? Theislandgolfclub.com. Uh, they have some great photos on it anyway, even if you're just looking for a little bit of uh, uh, nice photos of Lynx golf or a bit of golf board, um, yeah, go to their website. Yeah, and for and the, by stroke saver he means yardage book, or as we would call it. So just to save any confusion out there. But yeah, their their website's awesome. They have three D flyovers of, of the of a lot of of all the holes actually, um, which I did look at before I went and played. But it did I forgot all about it. By the time I got out there, I got too excited. So <laughs> if you ever had the chance to play the Island Golf Club, do not pass up this opportunity. But. Uh, uh, we rested up a little bit on Friday night, got some pizza, um, had a few drinks, and then we were off early, 8.20 tea time at the Palmer course at the K Club. Uh, can you get two more drastically different styles of golf to be played in a 24-hour span? I, I don't think so, no. <laughs> um, it, it's, yeah, it's one extreme to the other. You're going from um, raw links to kind of pristine parkland, um, then it really was in pristine condition having only you know only what five or six weeks after hosting the dubai duty-free irish open so um yeah it was that those greens i don't think i've put it on any truer greens in my life they you missed a putt it was your fault yeah i mean you just you look up at that first tee box and we played it as far back as they were set up i think the white tees were as far they had it and it was about 6800 yards where we played it at uh, it didn't seem that long to me, but I felt. But um, I was. I fa- I figured something out with the driver, and I was in the middle of every fairway. But I felt like if you're missing the fairway there, hitting out of that, it, it was just so. The whole golf course was so lush. It was so green, and the rough is really. I mean, it was. It, like I guess it had rained the day before. Uh, the rough really did grab your ball if you're in it and could sit down. And if you're trying to hit a seven six iron out of that rough, it could be really challenging. But. Uh, the fairways were wide. It's an Arnold Palmer design course, so it's, it feels a lot like an American golf course. 
Uh, but my goodness, the condition of that of that course. I mean, the greens were. I thought the greens were actually very easy to read as well. Uh, very fair. They weren't. Nece- they weren't necessarily just perfectly flat greens at all. Mm-hmm. There was definitely a lot of break to them, but they were. There's nothing really tricky about them, and like you said. I, I, that was the most confident I, I was. I was standing over a 15 foot putt the entire trip. I mean, you can just feel the feel the line very well, and you know you're going to get a super true roll. Uh, not a breath of wind out there. Unbelievably lush fairways. I love a fairway, and when you compress the ball down, you just take a huge pelt out of it. Uh, <laughs> they they were nice and moist from the, the rain that, that I guess you guys get all the time out there, but um, not no one else out there on the course. That was just a perfect morning. I. Um, it, it, it's it's really really fun golf course. I, I enjoyed every second of it. Yeah, I, the condition was absolutely fantastic. I was there a few weeks back for the uh, the Sunday of the Irish Open and saw how good it was. So when this all came uh, came through for us to go play it, I was really really excited to do it. And it's um it's a very special estate. When you drive into it, you feel a real sense of occasion. And we don't have that many courses of that uh, with that sense of occasion going into it. Uh, here in Ireland, I'm sure you, there are a dime a dozen over in the States to, to coin an American phrase, but um, it's, it's quite a special feeling when you drive into a play, an old estate like that here in Ireland and you know you know there's a beautiful golf course waiting for you. The clubhouse was full of all the the Ryder Cup stuff from the 2006 Ryder Cup. I won't go into that too much. You, know? uh, you had to bring it up. You well, you were, to well it. you were going to bring it up anyway. So I was, yeah. I was, I was. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very cool experience altogether you, you know you start remembering what happened at the Ryder Cup and uh, yeah I, I just uh, you'd like to do that a, a little bit more than once every so often you know to go back and play it yeah and like you said the uh, there's like a almost like um, a, a castle gate like entrance to get onto the property and once you're there uh, it, it is, does have very private feel once you're there it's just this huge sprawled out green grass a, a big practice area to your right almost as soon as you get down the path and uh and from my experience in scotland ireland the big practice areas and whatnot are are not a common thing that's more of an american thing for golf courses is that accurate that's very true yeah um not an awful lot of golf courses would have as extensive a driving range as that i mean that was a full driving range some some places might have a uh, practice area where, which might extend maybe 160 170 yards but uh, this is a full driving range which was uh, it's nice to have that uh, it helps with the warm-up um, and, and certainly I think that's where you found your driver really wasn't it yeah yeah that's where I uh, shout out to Travis Fulton uh, PGA Tour the Tour Fix uh, gave me some tips on getting out getting my uh, right leg straightened getting my hip turned more and I did figure that out, but the, the key there is they let you hit off the grass too. There's not a lot of, in addition to there not being a lot of practice ranges, there's not a lot to let you hit off grass either. And uh, there's a great chipping area we didn't take advantage of really. And then we warmed up on that putting green, and we just both our eyes just lit up when we putted on those greens. They were just the truest surface. But the first thing you see when you pull in the property too is this hotel, which we didn't get a chance to go in it. Um, is it's incredible looking from the front, and then when you get to the sixteen in between the sixteenth and seventeenth hole, yeah. uh, they almost made. They, I, I think they purposely made the walk between sixteen and seventeen a little longer, and you just have this incredible view of this massive, luxurious hotel. 
Um, that's oh, it's just it's really really impressive. And uh, there's not a lot of I guess scenery from the golf course. You know, you're looking. You know, you look to your left, look to your right for the most of the front nine. You're seeing other parts of the golf course. This back nine kind of weaves its way through a neighborhood, I guess you could say. And then you see this hotel as you get near the clubhouse, and oh, it's it's magnificent. It's it's enormous. They they did a big renovation there recently. I think they spent about twenty million on it, and they've added a whole load of rooms. It is it's seriously impressive. Um, it's it's the kind of place you'd love to go stay for a weekend, uh, yeah. and with a couple of cheeky rounds of golf put in as well. Exactly, and I and the, you touched on it in the clubhouse too. The uh, they memorialize the 2006 Ryder Cup exactly the way I see it in my nightmares, which is um, just a, the all the horrible outfits that U.S. team wear. Or again, Mike, the country's colors are red, white, and blue. The team got off the plane wearing all brown, and then one of the days of the cup, they actually wore brown pants, not even khaki, brown pants, a brown vest with a brown undershirt and a brown hat. They deserve, you know, they should be commended for earning nine and a half points, losing eight, <laughs> 18 and a half, nine and a half, because that was the worst Ryder Cup team. Uh, for those longtime listeners of the podcast, this is, this is not a new topic for me. So um, to go in the, in, the, in the, you know, walk the same fairways that Brett Wetterick and Vaughn Taylor and J.J. Henry walked, um, it just added a whole other aura to it. But no, in the clubhouse, they do memorialize. It's actually pretty awesome. You could spend an hour in that clubhouse just going through the artifacts, the pictures. They treat it like it's a museum. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I, I probably spent, we spent a decent amount of our time before the round and after the round just looking at the pictures. Got Michael Jordan up there. I think Bill Clinton was there. Uh, just kind of capturing the whole event, all the weather, the issues they had that week as well. And uh, Darren Clark's emotional, um, emotional performance after losing his wife and uh, a replica Ryder Cup there and it's it's awesome I could have spent a lot more time in that clubhouse yeah I like honestly though I you guys could have been dressed in American flags and I don't think you would have stood a chance playing with an I you know a European yeah. Ryder Cup team in Ireland with three Irish men on the team I I, I don't know uh, I don't think even the Harlem Globe Trotters or golf could have beaten that team uh, That's the thing. That that European team was absolutely stacked. Absolutely stacked. I think David Howell is the only name I would look at on that team and be like, ah, okay. But I mean, it was um, Henrik Stenson, Luke Donald, Sergio, Colin Montgomery, Paul Casey, Robert Carlson, Padraig Harrington, Paul McGinley, Jose Maria Olafabo, Lee Westwood, and Darren Clark. Sorry, you're not beating that team. No, not in Ireland anyway. Um, and in the circumstances of it. So, uh, yeah, the K-Club um, played... Fantastic golf course. I loved it. Um, and, and an interesting to have to switch everything about your game from Lynx golf to to Parkland golf within, you know, the space of what, 12 hours, 14 hours? Yeah, something like that. And uh, I, I immediately felt more comfortable on a golf course like that. And it felt a lot more natural to me. Um, that's not to say that I liked it more than Lynx style. Or it, it, yeah, We were asked at the end of our final round to rank the four courses. We are not going to do that. It's not fair. There's four completely different golf courses, and uh, I, I could I could wake up you know feeling differently about how I ranked it tomorrow than I do today. But yeah. um, it, it's it's well worth your time. We didn't get to check out the uh, I forget the name of the second course there. The Smurfit course. Smurfit course. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about that, but they do have two golf courses there as well. But um, seeing in person some of the the 16th and 18th holes to see what Rory did during the Dubai Dirty Free Irish Open this year. 
Um, that 16th hole was almost an island green, par 5, and he hit uh, three wood from 270 into the wind and hit on the green and two-putted for birdie. Yeah. Um, that, that, hole, that is insane, that hole is. I mean, even looking at a wedge shot on that hole from 120, 130 is intimidating. But uh, from, yeah, two se- I, from 278, we stopped and had a look at what, we, what you were facing, and it looked like you were trying to land it on a, a dinner plate. I could have hit three wood from there. I still would have been short of the creek. Like I could not have gotten anywhere close to that. But uh, and then yeah, he stuck it to about two feet on eighteen from about from closer than where I hit it. Let me just say that, Rory. All right. Um, but that eighteenth hole, coming back to the clubhouse, down downhill a little bit, second shot over water. Uh, great risk reward, par five. Uh, three par fives on the back nine. A lot of that's a lot of. I don't know. I, that was a lot of fun. It's really, right. it's a really good finish, isn't it? And it's set up so well for a Ryder Cup. You know, you've scoring holes on the way in in match play. It's uh, yeah. it's very well designed for for match play, and and it is good for you know playing an individual play as well. Uh, it gives you a chance to save a score that you may have lost earlier on in the range. Uh, I can see exactly how somebody like Rory would win at a course like this. Uh, he loves it. He loves it soft and. He can just take different lines, and I think I, I probably haven't given proper credit to the design of the golf course, and that uh, there's a lot of shape to the holes, and there is a lot of strategy that goes into it. You can take driver off almost. Oh, I think we we reach for driver on pretty much every hole. Yeah. But there is strategy as to what kind of shot you want to play, how much you want to bite off of some of these corners. Um, tremendous benefit if you're able to get it around some of these corners. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I, and again, the tees were up from where we played it. There were some, we'll get to Killeen Castle where the tees go really far back. But anyways, looking at some of where these, these pros play from, uh, was pretty, was pretty absurd. And, uh, I don't know. I love that. So I just love playing championship golf courses. So you can both get an appreciation for how amazing those guys are yet also be like, you know what? This is, this is, uh, this is just an, uh, it's just a golf course. It's not like a. A, a, a impossible task to, you know, to par some of these holes, to birdie some of these holes, and it's fun to try to imitate as best you can what they've done out there. Uh, it, was, it was extremely playable, and you, like you mentioned there, you certainly looked a lot more comfortable on the golf course, like walking around, just, you kind of seemed like, yeah, this is familiar, I'm home here, um, and you, you shot a pretty good round that day, I think you, you, uh, you comfortably broke 80, right? Yeah, it's 77 with a quad on the, I got wet. As soon as it started threatening to rain, I made a quad. That's how bad, that's how mental of a midget I am when it comes to the rain. Um, but yeah, I, I should have put, I mean, I was playing from the middle of every fairway, hitting, hitting eight iron or less into most of the holes. And whenever I hit seven iron or more is when I got myself in trouble. But um, I should have put up a lot better number, but man, it felt good to at least, at least get my game back a little bit for a little while. But it would quickly uh, disappear as we got into our afternoon round. Um, we made our way over to Port Marnock. And uh, while I said I wasn't going to rank the courses, and I'm writing this actually, I'm, I'm doing individual write-ups of each of these courses on, on nolangup.com, but I, I, I'd have a hard time not calling Port Marnock my favorite of the four. Um, it is such a, like you said earlier, such a different style of links from the Island Golf Club. And I loved the, how, how much it made you think in that, what I mentioned earlier, you, you weren't, we were not really looking for balls at Port Marnock, you, but if you hit it offline, the, the, the long stuff is going to grab your ball. You can still play it. You can still get a club on it. Um, probably can't get a five iron on it. You can get a nine iron on it, but um, it, it did add, it just added this whole level level strategy. You couldn't just go out there and bomb it wherever you wanted to. And I figured that out the hard way. Um, I think I was on the 10th hole or so. It was 350 yards dead downwind, and it played firm out there. I'm like, all right, I'm driving this green. 
I hit a drive offline to the right. It was actually in the wrong fairway. And I'm looking at just an impossible shot back at a elevated green um, to a pin that you just could not get to. I didn't have a club for that shot. And it just takes you right back to the Island Club and these holes that, you know what, I would hit, take a different iron off this tee or a different club off this tee had I seen this before. Um, such a fun, cool style of golf. Really windy out there. Uh, again, another picture-perfect course, but another really flat, like you mentioned earlier. But um, I don't know if it was the pictures in the clubhouse, the stories that I've heard from Port Marnock. I, it just all added to the whole experience. And uh, I, I'd have a hard time not ranking that number one of all the four courses we played. Uh, yeah, I can't disagree with you there. Somebody uh, was it you that put a gun to my head at the end of the trip and said like, if, if you had to just play one of the four golf courses, like, you know, every day, which one would it be? Uh, and that is the one. If I have to, you know, gun to my head, I would say that one. Uh, I love that course. I've played it uh, a good few times over the years. It has been a while since I played it, but I love that. On any given shot, you can be presented with countless options on how to play it and, and what club to play and what ball flight to play and what shot shape to play and you can still get uh, you know still get the same result um, it just there's so much imagination and creativity it's like going out there and um, trying to to paint a picture of your round rather than play around I don't know if that makes any sense at all it works um, I can I, I can work with that I work that's yeah I can I see exactly what you're saying there and that um, well, first, all right, let's go. Let's get this out of the way. Tell everyone about the three iron that you hit on the very first hole. Go ahead. Oh, we just jumped up without any warm up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we were sufficiently warmed up from eighteen holes in the K Club, and uh, we got there early. And uh, they were very kind enough to give us a warning um, that if we waited for our tee time, we'd be behind a lot of four balls and could expect a six-hour round. So. We were quite happy to go off early, and we stood up on the tee. Chris, you pulled out your driver, as you always did <laughs> on the weekend, and uh, I hit three iron. Uh, I, it was playing remar- really nicely downwind and off the right, and I hit a good draw, and off it went. And all I remember was going, okay, that was good. It's down the fairway. I'm happy with that. And you just saying, wow, that ball is running. Wow, that ball is running. Wow, that ball is running. <laughs> And um, we got down there, and it was three three oh seven. And I, well, the only reason I know this is because of a cool little system called Game Golf. It actually tra- tags your clubs and tracks how far you've hit it, and um, it's GPS enabled. So um, yeah, that that one will be. Uh, I better tweet Jason Day about that. He can't hit his three iron three oh seven. I was gonna say I didn't hear any yardages of anything you hit the entire trip except for that three hundred seven yard three iron. But why, why, why not? <laughs> But that's just kind of that goes to show the reward of getting the ball in the fairway there. Because I smoked a drive. It got caught up in the rough, though, and didn't run out. And I, I, I think we were almost even, almost dead even in the fairway. Or, or I was maybe a little bit ahead of you hitting driver. But mm. um, it just, it, I don't know, the shape of those holes, too, you just have to strategize so much with the wind. I think it was the, uh, was it the third hole that kind of slightly dog legs to the left. Um, shortish hole. We had a helping wind and off the left. And the it runs out into a hazard down the right side, and um, I, my instinct when I'm not hitting drivers is just to reach for the three iron. But I, I I had played enough links golf at this point to know that you don't need to hit three iron. So I actually hit like a five iron, five or six iron off the tee, just because I knew it was going to run once it got in the fairway, and I knew I couldn't get it around the dog leg to the left because of what the wind was doing. And even if I had the chance of that staying in the fairway, were minimal, and there's bunkers up there that can. 
But sometimes the only thing that are going to stop your ball running in the fairway are these bunkers, these little pot bunkers that you have to strategize around. So I just hit this five or six iron and hit the hit it okay. Just went in the middle of the fairway and ran out. And I just remember looking back and smiling and be like, nowhere in the U.S. or anywhere else I usually play can you play a shot like that and have it be that rewarding where. I actually had to think my way through that shot, execute a relatively simple shot, but there I was in the middle of fairway, and I had nothing but a pitching wedge in from that point on. But I just kind of goes to show the strategy that goes into these courses. Well thought out. The the more links golf we played over the weekends, the more you were hitting shots like that or making those decisions to play the links shot rather than the the stock shot that you just think, I'll take driver here, it's a par four or par five. um, Yeah, it was... That was good. That's a great hole, actually. Um, really like it. Dangerous. Yeah, uh, and there's that, so many holes like that out there. Um, and, and you took a picture of it in the clubhouse, actually. It's hard when you're on the property to get an idea um, of what uh, of where this course sits. And it really is also, just like the Island Golf Club, it sits basically on an island. And it's hard to really get appreciation for it when you're there, except for they got a great picture on their website as well, and I'll try to include that as well. But... Um, just how it just sits on this unbelievable piece of property surrounded by water, uh, lets the wind just whip right through there. And the, we spent a lot of time in the clubhouse after the round too. The pictures and the stories and stuff that come from inside that clubhouse are pretty remarkable. All the names that have come through that place. Yeah, it's a golf club with um, an incredible amount of history. It was uh, 1894 it was formed. So, and there's just so many great championships and great players and great stories that have come out of that. And, you really feel that in the clubhouse when you're there. There's a great sense of occasion when you're there. Um, it's it's a very special place. Um, and w- when you do get down by the, the water, you do realize how open and raw it is. The, the, the slightly inland holes, you could be, you know, you, you could see Dublin, but you wouldn't know what, that the sea is surrounding you on three sides. It's a, it's a remarkable golf course altogether. And I, one that everybody should have on their bucket list. Yeah, I think it's rated. I think I saw somewhere. I mean, these all these lists are subjective, but uh, I'm glad I didn't know this beforehand because I would have even been even more excited to play it. But I think it's the fourth ranked course in all of Ireland um, per some Golf Digest survey that I think ranked only behind uh, Royal Portrush um, or Royal County Down Portrush, and I forget what else, but. Um, it, not only the the history behind it, I think it hosted the Walker Cup in 1991 or something like that. Mick, Phil Mickelson played on that team, um, but the all the all the other championships. This is the one that held all the Irish Open. Opens is that right? Back in the day, yes. Back in the day. I, yeah, and they they need to have a vote similar to Troon about female membership, as far as I know, uh, in order for them to be considered to hold the Irish Open again. Okay, that's a. We uh, won't touch on that topic. No, not at all. That's uh, that's all we'll say about that. Um, um, yeah, that golf course. And they have twenty-seven holes as well. And you said if, if we had had a chance to go and play the other nine, we uh, you would have jumped at it. But um, we we walked thirty-six that day. So yeah, we walked and carried thirty-six holes at that point. And I think uh, I think uh, so. Help me describe this to my American listeners because I, I posted one picture on Instagram. That had a push cart in it, and it was not mine. Okay, I wasn't. I got a little defensive of it because everyone accused me of being a wuss for having a push cart. But push carts are a common thing in, in Ireland. Is that is that accurate to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I carry my bag. I have a carry bag now, but um, I, I was pretty tired after carrying for the previous two rounds, and I knew Port Marnock was extremely flat. So having a push cart, there is no 
there's no stress with uh, pulling that along or pushing it along on a Lynx course as flat as Port Marnock. So I decided to do it, and I, I will take all the abuse that comes with it. I couldn't care less. <laughs> I don't. I just don't understand the abuse that comes with it. It's like, especially if we're playing 36 in one day. I know when we played in Scotland, we played three straight days of 36. We either had a caddy or had a had a push cart for at least one of the rounds. Like to carry your bag for 36 holes. I mean. I mean, I would say I'm in decent shape right now. I was feeling it by that back nine of that of that second 18 at Port Marnock, and I, I I made the mistake of carrying both rounds. But it may be blasphemous for me to say, but I I, I push carts are allowable. I'll say it. I know every time the NCAA championships come on TV, people freak out about the kids having push carts, but. Professional golfers have somebody else carry their bag. Like that's le- that's less uh, demeaning. I guess having a push cart is less demeaning than having someone else carry your bag. I would say so. Uh, it's not like yeah, and, and put, riding on a golf cart is more demeaning. I would say than you know pushing your own bag as well. So push carts are allowed. You're, they're cool. You're allowed to do it. It's it's fine. I'm signing off on this. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. It's all good. I'm ready. I'm ready for the hate on that one, but. Um, mentioning some of the some of the names and all the pictures that we saw on the wall inside. There's also uh, was it the 2006 Irish Amateur that Rory was Rory did he win that that Irish Amateur? I know that the picture of him is in the playoff in there. I wish you'd give me the heads up on a few of these history questions. I don't know. <laughs> you were you were citing all this history while I was there. I, I, uh, well, no, I was just remarking at the names of some of the uh, the players. You know, the famous Irish amateurs like Joe Carr back in like the the early and mid nineteen hundreds, who you know, who I would know of, but not a huge amount. But you see their photo on the wall, you go, "Oh, that's pretty cool!" Like they were they were here, they were part of it, or they've played here before. So you're forcing me into a very quick Google here about the, the Irish amateur and, and Rory. I'd say if his photo's on the wall, he probably won it. Well, it defeats the purpose. It's just to say, like, well, that's a guy that, you know, Rory was playing here less than 10 years ago. I didn't know that as I played it. And then I just was heard, listening to the broadcast this past weekend of the, of the Bridgestone. They said Dustin Johnson's going over um, to – he's going to Ireland before going to Scotland for the British Open. Um, and he's playing at Port Marnock. They said that on the broadcast, and my ears perked up, and I was like, oh, wow, I was just there. I, I mean, I just think it's pretty cool that these, uh, this course is held in such high regard by so many players, and it's got so much history there. So um, if you ever get a chance to make your way out to Port Marnock again, that is another huge, strong endorsement from me. Um, it, it's, it's, it's worth the cost. It's a fantastic, fantastic golf course, and, again, another one of those that I would love another crack at. So well, we'll see what we can do on the Irish golf trip part two. Yep, yep, we're gonna do this again because this was way too fast of a trip, uh, too much fun, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'd like to be able to tackle some of these courses when my game's in at least somewhat decent shape as well. But um, after Port Marnock, we went back, rested up for a night, had some steaks, and then we were back at it again early tea time at Colleen Castle on a Sunday morning. Um, not blessed with the best weather for Colleen. It rained almost for the entire first 15 holes. It rained. Uh, it was just a steady rain. It wasn't a big downpour, but, um, again, citing my mental issues with the rain, it was, uh, it was tough, tough go for me swinging the golf club, but, um, really cool golf course. Again, a complete style change. We're back more towards the K club style courses, a Jack Nicholas design course hosted the 2011 Solheim cup. Um, and while K, the K Club felt like a big golf course, oh my God, was Colleen a big golf course? And we played it as far back as they had set up, and it had to be at least a thousand yards shorter 
than the furthest tee boxes. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I think the they have a they have five sets of tees there. I think and. Um, their their big tees are called you know they call them the, the black tees but I think that course is like seven six seven seven I think off the blacks <laughs> which which is fine in you know warm dry American conditions with a firm golf course but when you're playing it in Ireland where the course is inevitably going to be a bit soft and uh, the air temperature is never going to be too high the ball's not going to fly as far that is almost unmanageable for even the pros and um, we were talking to. One of the guys in the pro shop beforehand, he said um, the unofficial record uh, or course record off the, the black tees is by Danny Willett. He shot level par. <laughs> so, Top 10 player in the world, Masters champion, best score from that from those tees is level par. I mean, I made the joke to you when we played it um, that the ball just, again, it had something to do with the rain and just the moisture in the air as well. But I wouldn't have been surprised if I found out that we were accidentally playing. In, we, we use yards. If I found out we were accidentally, it, the course was listed in meters. Everything was coming up short. The ball was going nowhere. It was such a challenge. And to look back to see where some of these tee boxes were, I'm telling you, unfathomable to play these tees. There's got to be par fours out there that are driver three wood that I'm 50 yards short of on some of these holes. I, just, I couldn't even imagine playing this course from the tips. But... Um, it's a very fun challenge. It's not. It's def- It's not an overly difficult golf course. I wouldn't say from where we played it at. It played a little long, but again, friendly fairways, lush, uh, great green surfaces, but a lot more tricky than what we saw at the K Club. Yeah, these. I lo- I thought um, as much fun as it was putting on the other greens in the island and Port Marnock. I'm quite comfortable on links greens. I enjoy that, and then the ones in the K Club were so readable and true. I actually enjoyed these ones, these greens, the Jack Nicholas ones, the most of all of them because they were, you had to read your putt from all sides. And even then, when you made your decision and you hit your putt on the line you hit it on, there were times where that ball went the opposite <laughs> way that you thought. And uh, it was a, it was a real, um, it was a really good challenge and a lesson in, you know, f- looking at the entire green rather than just the, the close environment to what your line is on the putt. Um, there were there were slopes that came from you know far sides of the green that affected the ball and uh, I really enjoyed that challenge. I'd love to have a go go back there again and, and try it one more time and see if I'd learned from the first experience on those greens. But um, yeah, typical Jack Nicklaus challenge, isn't it? Generous off the tee, hit a good second shot, and then to the middle of the green. Generally, it was the, the safe play, obviously, and uh, then try to get your two putts. Yeah, I think um, Jack courses in the U.S. can get a bit of a reputation that's not the strongest reputation. And the, the courses can be a bit uh, what I'd call Mickey Mouse or just um, doesn't really uh, – and I'm not like a golf course critic, but I feel like he doesn't make great use of the terrain. The golf courses uh, are very manufactured and don't um, – and again, it's not trying to be a link style, but the complete opposite of a links where it just feels like the golf course was discovered. These golf courses seem very uh, man-made and very created, which again, all golf courses are to a certain extent. But um, this this felt a little bit different than what I'm used to from the U.S. perspective in that uh, it didn't look like he was just fitting a bunch of holes into a piece of property. This was uh, long, stretched out golf holes that had the full bearing of challenge and uh, again, we're reaching for driver a lot on, on the, these wide, generous fairways and not a ton of punishment off the tee, but you had to be precise with your irons because the, the greens were very tricky and we kept short-siding ourselves way, way too many times where it was really soft out there, so it wasn't that challenging to get up and down from, um, you know, loft the ball up and get it to stop, but 
Um, you had to be really careful going after going after sucker pins out there. Um, and again, you're hitting a, you're hitting some sometimes some pretty long irons into these holes. But uh, another really challenging, really good golf course. I, I played my two best rounds at the two Parkland golf courses, but um, yeah, it's just a much more familiar style. But and you could and you, the, the the castle. It's called Colleen Castle. The castle that overlooks the golf course is just awesome. I don't even know how to describe it. You only see it on a few holes, but the finishing hole just finishes right in front of this historic castle. I'm not going to pull another history question out at you and tell me what year that castle's from, but um, it really does deserve the name <laughs> Killeen Castle. No, it's, it's, a, it's a really good golf course, and it follows, like you we were saying, it follows the flow of the land very nicely. It is spread out, and um, if anybody's playing it, I would recommend... Not just a push cart, but at least an electric cart, if not a buggy, if you're allowed. It, there, there, are, there are times where you're walking a par three, if not a short par four between holes. So you're, you're walking a golf course and a half, if not nearly two golf courses by the end of the 18 holes. Um, I loved it. Oh, it was a great challenge. Um, there were some seriously deep bunkers around those golf, around the greens. Um, in, you know, if you short-sided yourself, you're in the rough, but, or, or in one of those deep bunkers, you have to... You to have your short game on fire that day. Uh, you certainly did. I, I think Chris kept asking about, uh, you know, what was, what was your shot of the round? And, uh, well, Chris's shot of the round was the flop shot in, in general. I think you, I'd say you played a half a dozen flop shots <laughs> to within three foot of the hole every time. I had to give you guys a little lesson in, in what I'm actually familiar with because I, yeah. I made a fool of myself trying to get up and down around the link screen. So I had to show you I wasn't a complete idiot around the greens. No, that was that was an absolute lesson. That was uh, like the right-handed Phil Mickelson. Um, but it is. I mean, it's a golf course again. It's kind of built for match play. Um, I wouldn't say I, uh, they can move those tees around. There's so many tee boxes out there. They can move those tees around, make it easier, make it harder. Um, the par fives were gettable. I would say definitely for the pros, they could definitely get there. Um, and like you said, the greens were just fantastic and a lot more challenging than K Club. I found myself like paying way more attention when somebody else's ball was rolling on the green just to see how it reacted than I normally would. Even if it wasn't on my line, I just kind of wanted to see if there is there some predominant slope that I'm missing. And even by the time we got to like 17, I think I misread a, a putt where I missed it 15 feet to the right. So um, you just there's a lot of trick to those greens, but it wasn't it wasn't gimmicky. It wasn't unfair by any means. It was just. Uh, you're got you're punished if you're a long way away from the hole in these greens, and uh, if you hit, but if you hit the ball in the right spot, you got easy uphill putts, and uh, we made we made a few birdies as a group, so it was a, it was a fun round. Just wish we could play a little drier, um, let the ball run out a little bit, and not have to worry about umbrellas and rain gloves and and all that stuff that drives me absolutely nuts. But um, man, another good golf course, and we did all this. That was all in 48 hours, less than 48 yeah. hours. All these rounds. <laughs> Uh, I, have, I have a full-time job. I can't. I love to spend a week in Ireland, but I spent yeah Friday through a Sunday, and then I was back on a flight to Amsterdam. And too fast a weekend, man. And uh, I don't know. You'd be hard pressed to find four better courses in the Dublin area. We're kind of confined to the Dublin area in our time frame to get all these to get four rounds in. But man, I, I, I think uh, you're the one with all the experience in the area. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't mean this in a way to put down other clubs, but. It'd be hard to pick four better clubs, I would think, from your perspective. Would you agree? They they were pretty much first choice yeah. um, in in terms of what I had in my head when you you know when we organized this and uh, yeah we we got lucky with some uh, really generous people um, in all the golf clubs kind of helping us organize these. Um, we should we'll give shout outs to them now in a little bit, but yeah, I think we lucked out and we got four absolute monsters. 
it may uh, it may seem like we're overly praising these courses, um, but it re- they really are uh, just the cream of the crop for this area, I think. And again, I would rely on you to, to give that input better than me, but it just has inspired me to want to check out even more courses in the area, uh, extend my way out west. I want to make it to Northern Ireland and play some of these courses. Um, just uh, the people that you encounter everywhere, everyone was super nice. we got to give a special shout-out to Chris McCourt, who... Uh, I had just mentioned on the on the podcast that I was going to be making a trip to Ireland. He says, "Hey, how's one thirty at the Island Club work?" Like a, just a random Twitter follower of mine, great guy. Uh, I love the way that social media kind of has created this this world of uh, you know it, you can. It's not that weird to meet a dude from Twitter and, and meet up and play golf. Like we had great conversation, great company, uh, and everyone else at all the other clubs was so accommodating to us on a very short notice. Uh, the people at Port Marnock were especially flexible, getting us out early as well. Yeah, um, it was uh, Jeff Jeff Fallon there in Port Marnock. He uh, he sorted that out for us. So it was very cool of him. Yep, yep. And uh, Paul McCanny and Killian Castle, and uh, then we'd Kira Lynch from uh, Izest Marketing. They they do they work with the K Club, and Kira pulled some serious strings late on Friday evening to get us out there in the K Club. So uh, we appreciate it a lot for everybody that helped us get out to play those great golf courses. Thank you very much. Yeah, yes, thank you. I uh, can't thank you guys enough because that was a truly, truly special weekend. I feel like I'm a bit spoiled when it comes to Irish golf now already. Uh, I, I feel like in my head now I imagine that's what you do every single weekend, which I'm, I'm guessing is not the case. But, um, <laughs> man, I can't wait to make my way back there. Um, I hope this helps anyone that listened uh, if you're planning an Irish golf trip. Um, that, and if you have any other questions, feel free to shoot Barry or I a question. Um, and we'll be happy to answer any, and give any feedback we have on these courses. But, um, yeah, again, a lot like similar to my Scotland golf podcast it, and summary of uh, playing there last year, Ireland is, is worth a look as well. And it's also, it just seems so much more affordable too. I mean, well, this is pre-Brexit. Actually, Brexit happened while we were there. But uh, the pound has dipped a lot since then, but the pound is usually makes a Scotland golf trip a lot more expensive Ireland is, uh, I'd say, more affordable and zero sacrifice from a golf perspective. It may not have the history of all the Open Championship courses and whatnot, but, man, is it some awesome golf. So check it out if you get the chance. Anything we missed, Barry? Um, no, we could definitely do another three or four Dublin trips, fill them with four golf courses on each weekend and still be of the same quality. The, the Dublin is just – the you know, within an hour of Dublin, either side, there are just so many golf courses. It's incredible. I mean, Ireland, for the size of it, is, I think, smaller than New Jersey. And we have uh, over 400 golf courses. So, uh, you know, the, the, we could definitely do another couple of Dublin trips before we kind of go up to, you know, the North trip, the Northwest trip, the West trip, the Southwest trip. God. Uh, yeah. It's not enough time in the calendar, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to carve out a week this fall, so I'm not doing a rush trip like this one. And uh, Not that it wasn't a blast, but I, I just feel like it needs, it deserves more time, needs more time, and uh, it's very doable. You're right, the size of the country is not too big. It's easy to get around, and um, for Americans, it's a little bit intimidating to be driving on the wrong side of the road, at least for me, but uh, that's the only downside, I think, of, of getting around. So, um, My friend, we're going to have to plan this again soon. Um, stay in touch and we'll, uh, we'll hopefully circle back up here in a couple months for some more Irish golf and um, yeah thanks to anybody for tuning in and again send us any questions that you may have thanks Chris cheers Barry cheers all the best be the right club be the right club today yeah. 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 Yeah.
Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything different?